Welcome back to The Twisted Mirror and part two of The Moonlit Bridge. I just quickly wanted to mention something I forgot at the intro of part one, and I always like to give credit where credit is due, and that is that this story was inspired by a short story by Banana Yoshimoto called Moonlight Shadows. It is not a horror story. It's actually a bit of a magical realism or surreal story. The story itself really resonated with me and the emotions that came along with it. And as usual, I like to put a dark spin on things. And so that's how this story came to be. And just a few quick reminders. You can follow Twisted Mirror on IG, TikTok, Facebook, where there is both a group and a page. And if you would like to support the podcast, get episodes early, more experimental content, and these multi-parters like this one all at once, you can go to twistedmirrorpodcast.com and there are links to all this stuff. Also, reviews are really helpful. It just helps me get new listeners and people who are on the fence. They check out those reviews and they see some positive stuff and they'll give it a listen. So if you could just pop in and do star review or rating, that would be immensely helpful. Oh, and I don't mention this often enough, but I am taking submissions. If you have short ones, I'm trying to put together an episode with multiple shorter stories. I have a couple of really short ones, and I'd like to add some so that I can do a full-length episode with your stories. So you can just go to the same website, twistedmirrorpodcast.com, and submit your story there through the submissions link. All right, on to part two of the Moonlit Bridge. You are now staring into the twisted mirror. I hurried over to Ms. Zupero's door, my nose tucked into the collar of my shirt. It was a useless shield against the odor that grew stronger with each step forward. I tried to remain hopeful, but the sick feeling in my gut wasn't just a reaction to the stench. When I pulled the door open, the hot, sweet, musky, putrid, acidic smell of death and vomit engulfed me. It settled on my taste buds and carried through my nose to the back of my throat, triggering me to cough in a failed attempt to purge it from my airways. I wish I had stopped there. Miss Dubrow? I eked out again, doubtful a response would come. I crept along the long hallway that served as the main artery to the long pre-war apartment like an unwelcome intruder. My heart clamored with fear of what I might find. I hoped I'd learned that she was in the hospital recovering and had forgotten a roast on the stove or her trash had sat decaying over the course of a week. I passed her kitchen and caught a glimpse of the soup. I left her sitting untouched on her kitchen table. Flies buzzed around the sealed rim of the container. Hello? I called out. I walked to the end of the long, dark apartment, past the bedrooms to the very end where her living room was. As I got closer, I could hear the faint murmur of a television show and see flickers of light from it 
through the sliver of the nearly sealed pocket doors. I wanted to take a deep breath to toughen my resolve, but the odor was so vile, I could barely draw a shallow inhale. I slipped my fingers into the crack between the pocket doors and pulled them open. That's when I found Ms. Dubrow. Her face, or what was left of it, was contorted into a rictus howl like she was frozen in a raging cough. The corners of her mouth were torn, as if she had so violently opened her mouth for air that the skin had split. Crusted vomit had dried on her clothing and on the floor. What were once the whites of her wide open eyes were now an opaque bright red and they were locked in a look of fear and desperation. Long claw marks ran along her neck and chest. I would later learn from her scratching at herself while gasping for air. If all that wasn't a tragic enough ending, her beloved Robert was perched on the top of the chair, gnawing on her neck tugging on a long layer of skin that snapped off like jerky. The funeral home did a great job in making Danny's appearance palatable, but my mind often betrayed me by trying to imagine what his body looked like under his suit after slamming into that tree. Finding Ms. Dubrow like that was enough of a horror on its own, but it awakened the trauma of Danny's death. I tripped backward and was lucky enough for the wall behind me to break my fall. As I tried to regain my footing, I wondered, was I cursed? How could I be attached to two horrific deaths within the span of a year? Once I returned to my feet, I ran down the hallway, only making it halfway before I added to the fetidness with my own projectile stomach contents. Then, I called 911. Distraught as I was, I still saw Danny that night. I needed to see him that night. This time, we stayed in the present. He knew Ms. Dubrow, and he was the only person in the world whose comfort I wanted. As I sat with him on the bridge in his embrace... My sobs finally calming, his facial expression told me he was holding on to something. What's in your mind? I asked. I think we need to slow down. I sat up. What? Why? I just know that what we're doing isn't fair. We're not supposed to cheat like this. Slim, don't you wonder if there's a cost? If there wasn't... Everyone would be doing what we're doing, wouldn't they? The psychic's warnings that I had all but forgotten came back to me. The universe would seek balance. I wanted to believe our love was rare, that it was the best, that it was special. Maybe it was. 
but our love alone wasn't what allowed us to meet every night at the bridge. That came from a woman I barely knew, and she warned me that there would be consequences. I pulled myself from his arms to turn and face him. You aren't suggesting that Ms. Dupro that she died because of us. I don't know why she died. I don't even know how I'm here. You said she started getting sick the day I first came back. Nothing is free, Slim. You're right. It isn't. I paid that psychic plenty. My poor attempt at morbid humor didn't sidetrack Danny's concern. I don't believe that. That's some BS New Age mumbo-jumbo. You're sitting here next to me and you don't believe that? He raised an eyebrow. Okay, smartass, but seriously. She was old and she had whooping cough. That's a far more likely cause of death. Besides, can't you see all the things that could happen to us? Don't you know things now? That's not how this works. I didn't get an instruction manual. I honestly couldn't articulate it other than to say I have lived, I live all of our pasts, presents, and futures. But not this here on the bridge. Never this. Maybe because it's not natural, Slim. This is an aberration. We'll keep an eye on things, I suggested dismissively. I was not giving up Danny not based on an absurd hunch. Ms. Dubrow was gone and nothing would bring her back anyway. Danny knew how stubborn I could be and he dropped the subject. In some ways, the minor disagreements in the present world, universe, timeline, whatever you want to call it, made me feel all the more that I had Danny here with me. He wasn't a ghost. He was my fiancé existing alongside me in this physical world. And we still had the little disagreements couples sometimes had. That night, he took me to a movie that will come out someday for which Dwayne The Rock Johnson will win an Oscar. Yeah, I didn't believe it until I saw it myself either. I didn't even think about Danny's theory again until Harper at the bakery died about a week later. I saw Harper almost every morning as part of my routine of grabbing a coffee and the occasional sweet but one day she wasn't at a regular shift. Harper was my first employee when I opened the bakery and she stayed there even after I left. She was one of those people who you could always rely on, so when she was out sick for six days and one of the workers mentioned she didn't even bother to call in on the seventh day, I insisted someone check on her. Harper was found in her studio apartment by her landlord. Rumors had spread that her face was contorted in a horrific manner. Her neighbors had told the new owner of the bakery that she had barely left the house during those last days, but when she did, she had a violent, jarring cough. At her funeral, I learned through whispers that her ribs and jaw had dislocated. I couldn't ignore the strong coincidence, but I still wasn't convinced. What did an illness have to do with Danny coming back to me? I couldn't just stop seeing Danny based on such a wild suspicion. I know it might sound callous or uncaring, but think of the person you love more than anyone in the world.
Would you cut them off because some other seemingly unrelated person you knew died? Even if you had a sneaking suspicion it was all somehow related, how many lives would you trade for theirs? I bet more than you'd like to think. I compromised by cutting our visits shorter. But if this cosmic exchange of life were real, I knew that it was just buying time. It was a dangerous zero-sum game. Every second I spent with him could be an exponential loss of life as we know it for someone else. Sadly, my circle was small, so the pattern would be hard to avoid after a few weeks. My mailman, Randy, started to cough and someone else started doing his route. Then I saw on Facebook that our beloved local postal worker, Randy Hoffman, died of a sudden illness. Someone else at the bakery died and then another neighbor. The local news had a segment about a mysterious illness cluster in our neighborhood, but it was still a minuscule amount of people relative to the population of the city. I couldn't entirely deny that maybe there was something to Danny's idea, but then again, it could just be an actual illness. After all, my neighbors, the postman, the bakery, all these people may have been in contact with one another and could have passed along a pathogen. Still... The sting of their deaths just didn't compare to the unending agony that had been losing Danny, and I couldn't, wouldn't, do it again. Not on a hunch. As people around me died gruesome, agonizing deaths, slowly the pounds crept up on the scale for me, and the world went from gray to a bloom of colors. Light didn't remind me of darkness, and the sounds of laughter didn't remind me of my sobs. One late morning, I decided I wanted to do something during the day, the way I used to when Danny was alive and I was vibrant and open to the world. Up until that point, even though I saw Danny nightly, much of my days were spent awaiting my visits with him or simply fulfilling my promise of relearning how to live. I was reading books, going for walks, cooking, and planning outfits for my dates with Danny. But I hadn't fully resumed my life in this world. I still kept my sphere small, home and my daily visits to the bakery for coffee. Then that morning, I decided to invite my sister out to brunch, an old tradition she jumped at the invitation. Late spring meant it was one of the first days of the year when we could sit on the patio. When Tabby saw me, her eyes lit up as she reached for an embrace. You look amazing, she said. It was the first time since Danny died that I had hugged her back and felt something other than emptiness. As Tabby and I chatted over eggs and mimosas, I realized how selfish Danny's death had made me. I had pulled out of her life, choosing to live in sustained agony, but she had to continue living day to day without her sister. There was so much that had happened in those months that I hadn't thought to ask about. It felt good to care again, to see other people's joy and not feel envy. 
I spent much of the meal asking questions about her, catching up on the past months of her life when my sorrows had become the center of attention. She told me about her new job teaching kindergartners and how much she loved watching those innocent children explore the world around them. She had started seeing a guy that she really liked, something she admitted sheepishly. I felt guilty that my fragility made her hide such a positive new development in her life. Wallowing in my own misery made it difficult for the people I love to fully share their joy. After that part of the conversation waned, Tabby shifted the focus back onto me. Well, anyway, what's going on with you? You're, you're glowing. She looked down at my half-eaten plate. You look so good, healthy. Oh, it's nothing. Try as I might, I couldn't pull back the smile that slid across my face. Wait a minute. Are you... She cut herself off, afraid that if she was wrong, I might be offended. Seeing somebody? No, I insisted, but I smiled devilishly. I couldn't tell her about Danny. For one, she'd think I had officially lost my mind. Two, part of the deal with that psychic was that I speak to no one about it. And I would absolutely not risk breaking whatever magic shit was going on. I don't believe you. You look like you're in love. <coughs> A violent coughing fit interrupted her sentence. At first I thought she had choked on her saliva or something, but it became something unlike I had ever seen. She was fine, and then she was hacking interminably. Dry air scraped the inside of her airways like metal claws so angrily that I cringed in sympathetic pain. People in the restaurant began to stare, and a server came in with fresh water. She tried to wave him away. I'm fine. I'm fine. The violent coughing turned into retching. This time, when Tabby pulled the napkin away, a disgusting blob of dark phlegm was in its center. We shared a horrified glance, but she started to cough again before we could exchange words. I paid the check and we exited the restaurant. I told her about the mystery cough that was going around and she told me I was being paranoid because she felt otherwise fine. She said getting sick was the norm when you spent your days with little five-year-olds who thought boogers were a food group. In a way, she was right about skipping the ER. If this was what I knew it was, no doctor could save her. I agreed that I would not make her go to the ER yet, so long as she came back with me to my new place to keep an eye on her. On the drive back home, I could hardly keep my head straight. I almost ran a red light. Jesus, Ange, are you okay? You don't look so hot yourself. You don't look so hot yourself, she added. I'm fine, I snapped. She raised her eyebrows. Okay. Okay. <laughs> another coughing fit. I rubbed her back as she hacked more blackish phlegm into a tissue. Still, 
She refused the ER. After nearly running the red light, I tried my best to exude calmness. Inside, my thoughts were still racing. I could not let Tabby suffer the fate I saw coming. But I didn't understand. How could I keep both Danny and Tabby? I tucked my sister into bed. Humidifier running, where fatigue overtook her within minutes. Once I heard the gentle click of the bedroom door securing as I locked it, I erupted into a frazzled pacing in my living room. No, 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 I murmured to myself. I couldn't lose Danny again, but I couldn't lose Tabby. I took a deep inhale. Okay, I said resolutely. I went into the spare room. It used to be Danny's old office, and his drafting table still stood in the middle. In a closet full of all of his work materials, I had a small safe hidden. I unlocked it and pulled out a wad of cash. I grabbed the jacket and marched toward the door, and that's when it caught my eye. The two envelopes I had cast aside when I realized Ms. Dubrow was in trouble. They had slid and fallen behind the entry table, making them easy to put out of mind. I had recommitted myself to the world of the living, and inside of them was death. But had I really? I convinced myself I had returned to the world of the living. But nevertheless, death followed. I knelt down and pulled the envelopes out of their hiding place. Just as the psychic sign had called me on my aimless walk, I felt the pull of the reports. It was time to read them. If I would fully accept Danny's life, I had to accept the totality of his death. I was ready to know everything. And maybe something in those documents could help me save Tabby. I peeled open the flaps and slid each report out. What followed was the confirmation that I had been lied to. Danny's death wasn't instant, nor was it painless. It was exactly how I had seen them in my nightmares. The dashboard had collapsed inward, crushing his thorax, breaking his ribs and collapsing his lungs. He was stuck on a quiet, isolated road. No one would know of the accident for a few minutes as a house far out in the distance heard the commotion and called the police to inspect. A fire started, filling the car with black smoke. By the time help arrived, they put the fire out in time to keep him from being totally consumed. But ultimately, he had asphyxiated. He suffocated to death alone and scared in the dark. The deadly, violent, rib-splitting cough that had slowly been killing those people around me was Danny's death. No matter how many times I saw him at night, his death would follow me in one way or another. I snatched my keys and ran out of my apartment determined to reach the only person who could help me. The neon sign wasn't lit, but the business was attached to a home and I prayed the psychic lived in it.
I pounded on the door, but there was no response, and I pounded again, this time loudly, begging for an answer. Eventually, she peeked through the glass, and when she saw me, she waved me off. No! Open the door! I insisted, banging the door with the side of my fist, rattling the glass almost to the point of shattering it. The woman cracked the door open and poked out her head. I shoved my foot through the opening to stop her from closing it on me. Please, please listen. The thing you did, it worked, and I am so appreciative. But I need your help. I see him every night. He shows me our future and even the past. I have him again, but people are dying. I know it's because of me bringing him back. You said there would be consequences, and now my sister... I choked back the tears. She's sick. Is this what you were warning me about? How do I stop it? The woman looked me up and down sternly, quietly shaking her head. She was taciturn to the point of harshness before, but there had been an understanding in her eyes. Now her expression was impatient, not in the sense that she had somewhere else to be, but in the way you lose your sympathy trying to teach someone who refuses to learn a lesson. She wagged a finger at me. Do you think you can have both? That you can live in this world and live in the beyond? Her finger moves from me towards some distant, abstract place. You cannot have it all. You cannot be so foolish as to think that. It is what you want to believe. There must be something you can do. You made this happen. You must be able to fix it. I have money. Lots of money. I reached into my purse and pulled out the wad of hundreds. There's more. Lots more. She glowered at the cash like I was holding a handful of horseshit. Money cannot fix this. And I did not do this. I simply guided you towards it. You could have stopped at any point. Every time you bring him here, there will be a balancing of nature. A debt. Every minute you spend with him takes away from someone else in your life exponentially. The greedier you are, the more it will take back. But this, you already know. You simply do not care. You bring him into the world of the living and your world becomes one of the dead. If he is given life, it must be taken from someone else. That is it. She pulled up my chin, making sure I would look into her vivid eyes. I cannot help you. Only you can save her. I only know if she is still alive, then it is not too late. She shot a stern glance at my arm and motioned to close the door. Please. I can't let him die can't lose him again. Everyone dies. You wished for your chance to tell him goodbye, to make things right, and you have had much more than that. You have had so much more than so many others. Will you keep living with the dead? Will you keep trading lives for his? How many lives is his worth to you? You can save your sister but it will require a much bigger sacrifice because now 
you must also trade someone else for her. One living person to bring back two from the dead? That type of greed will cost very much. You must invite even more death. You cannot have it all. We all bow to death. What do I do? Just tell me what to do. Wherever you meet him, that is an opening between life and death. Just as it recognized your pain that first night and opened itself to you, it is the only place you can go to stop this. Tell him it's over. Tell him to stop coming back. Maybe you will be able to save her. She leaned back from the door and I stepped away in a helpless daze, letting her close the door in my face. What she said was true. I could let all those people die. And selfishly, I could let them die. Indefinitely. But not my little sister. I couldn't live with that. It wasn't fair. Danny died. Danny died. Not Tabby. This window between life and death, that bridge, somehow had to be the key to saving her. I didn't know how it would work, but I knew I had to take the risk because there was no other option. I started to understand time in a different way with Danny. I knew he went to a place where it didn't truly exist, where infinite possibilities existed and we got to do all the things we ever wanted in trillions of different ways. In those hours between my decision and when I would see Danny, time stretched. I hoped somehow in there, I could find a way to save my sister. I waited for Danny by the bridge, and as soon as he saw me, he knew something was wrong. It hadn't snowed in weeks. It seemed warm, wet spring weather had made its way in for good. But a light peppering of snow began to descend on us. The little white flakes rested on his brown hair and melted onto his cheeks. What's going on? Slim? He asked, his earnest brown eyes searching mine. I haven't been honest with you. After Ms. Dubrow died, I didn't tell you about the others. How they all grew sick and died in the same way. I just didn't want to lose you again. I let the emotions flow. There was shame, but not guilt. Every extra moment with Danny was worth it. And I'd do it again. Danny didn't reprimand. He just held me. I know how you died. They all told me it was fast and painless, but it wasn't, was it? Danny's eyes avoided mine. He shook his head. They all lied to me. They said you died instantly, but now I know. I took him in, 
knowing this might be the last time. That's why when you heard about the way Miss Dubrow died, you wondered? He nodded and I descended into tears. I am so sorry those were your last moments. My death was so tiny compared to my life, our lives. I had countless moments of laughter, happiness, love. Please don't think of it when you think of me. I bowed my head. Tabby's sick. I told him about the words of the psychic lady about how I had to make a greater sacrifice to save Tabitha from the death that had already begun to lurk in her body. He pulled back and his eyes turned down with sadness. Tabby was like a little sister to him. He sighed. Well, then we have no choice, Slim. I can't do this again. I can't say goodbye. There's no goodbye this time. Don't you understand? We have lived a million lives together. We have, and we always will. But it's not the same. You get to live those lives with me, but I'm stuck here. Bound to this place and time. This, he motioned up and down along my body, is temporary. There was so much you haven't shown me. I wanted to see it all. I wanted to live our whole lives together. Come here, Danny said, drawing me closer. But Tabby... Danny half smiled at me. I understand now. Before I could protest, he kissed me. I opened my eyes and pulled away to see Danny facing me at the altar. The audience clapped as we walked down the aisle. We cried tears of joy as I held a positive pregnancy test and he held me as I cried on the bathroom floor with blood between my legs. We wept when our son was born and then our little girl. Oh, and the places we had traveled to before the children and the things we did as a family after they were born. There were times we fought, and times we fucked, and times we cried. We buried our parents. My son and daughter had little kids of their own, and I felt the joy and immortality of being a grandparent. Then, one day, there I was, weak and gray. Too weak, in fact, to stand. I felt the energy of life fading from my body, but I wasn't scared. Danny sat beside me, surrounded by our children and our children's children. His eyes, the same eyes that peered through that window when I was just a little girl, stared back at me. Now they were surrounded by wrinkles and cloudy with age, though still just as beautiful. 
I love you, Slim, he whispered. There is no beginning, or middle, or end. We will always be. I drifted farther from him and the room where my family stood vigil. I floated into a blissful abyss, my corporeal form becoming irrelevant. This is temporary. There was complete peace only for a fraction of a moment, and yet infinite. I had lived every single moment I thought I had lost when Danny died. I lived every second of those 55 years in real time. It wasn't just a flash, but a full, rich life with every scent, taste, and sensation. I gasped as I opened my eyes, pulling away from Danny's kiss. I had lived and died, and here I was. Finally, I understood the calmness he brought to our nights at the bridge. I understood why he didn't need to forgive me. Forgiveness was irrelevant. When he died, he entered a world of infinite possibilities for us, and he had given me the gift of showing me the one that was truly us, the most perfect version, the one I otherwise wouldn't have known until I died. This must be what they call heaven, I thought. Finally, I would be able to let him go. Danny caught me, his pine knees buckled, and I gasped for air. I struggled for words. How could I explain what I had just experienced? How could anyone understand what it was like to live 28,908,000 minutes in just a few seconds? But as I regained my composure, I realized I didn't have to explain it to Danny. He already knew. We had an amazing life. I whispered to him with a tearful smile. That we did, Slim. What about Tabby? Her life wouldn't be the token the universe would exchange for this. What a gift it has been to love you, I said, clasping his warm hands and holding them against my tear-stained face, reminding myself one last time that he was really here. I'd say goodbye, but there's no such thing, Danny added, because you're always here, he smiled, always. I closed my eyes, our hands still intertwined, and when I opened them, he was gone. I walked home through the desolate, snow-kissed night. I had no fear. I felt younger than I ever had. 
having known what it felt like to grow old and sickly and then be thrust back into a fit, healthy body. Yet I retain the wisdom and experience of someone who had lived a complete life. I approached my apartment and quietly, but hurriedly, let myself in. There I found Tabby asleep in my bed, still breathing and peaceful. It was surreal seeing her young skin again after just having seen her skin wrinkled and her hair gray. I stood over her, observing the reversal of time on her skin. Would I ever get used to being young again? To seeing people I had watched grow old, re-enter their prime? Tabby stirred, and when she saw me, she yelped in shock. Jesus Christ, Ange! She rubbed her eyes and groggily asked me for the time. Sorry. I was just checking in on you to see how you were feeling. Well, if it's possible to scare the flu out of someone, I think you just did it. She took a deep breath to test her lungs. I actually feel much better. I think I'm turning a corner. Working with a bunch of five-year-olds really fortifies the immune system. She cleared her throat a few times to check and there was no cough, as even she seemed shocked at how quickly her sudden illness came and went. Tabby glanced at the time. Five in the morning? I shrugged. Couldn't sleep. It was then that she must have noticed my eyes were red. She sat up and put a hand on my arm. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm actually really good. I just, I'm feeling a lot right now. She gave me a knowing smile and lifted the covers. Well, get in. I left a message calling in six since I felt shitty and there's no way I'm getting out of bed at five in the morning on a sick day. And I kicked off my shoes and pants and hopped into her bed. The first time I had slept in it since Danny died. We used to do this on girls' nights and it felt like all was finally right again. No. Oh God, no. I rolled over as I stirred awake and noticed Tabby's side of the bed was empty. This can't be happening. I registered it was Tabby's voice that woke me, and in that instant, I shot up from the bed. I knew from the tone of her voice that she was devastated. I ran to the doorway of the bedroom, and she had her cell phone in one hand, the TV remote in the other. She had sunken down to the floor. The local news droned on in the background. Tabby, what's wrong? What happened? The babies. Her chest heaved with sobs and because she could no longer speak, she pointed to the TV to speak in her stead. It took me a minute to collect the facts. There was aerial footage of a crash on some wooded road. The Chiron read, School bus for Elizabeth Wheaton Elementary School plummets off ravine. It took me a minute to gather the pieces. That was my sister's school where she taught kindergarten. Oh my God, Tabby. I ran over to her and pulled her to her feet and wrapped my arms around her. She buried her head in my neck and wailed. In between racking sobs, she told me, That was my boss on the phone. They're all dead. 
27 children and, and the driver. She howled in grief, and I let her dissolve in my arms. The footage cut back to the news anchor who recapped what they knew. The driver had lost control and drove off the road down a bluff. Witnesses were visibly traumatized by the increasingly violent crash in which tiny bodies had flung out of the bus windows along the cliffside. A photo of the bus driver hovered over the anchor. It caught my attention because he was so familiar. I leaned in trying to jog my memory. He was always at the bakery. We never really got to know each other, but he was always behind me or in front of me when I went to get my morning fix. Always politely greeted me. Oh my god, I muttered. My babies, Tabby bellowed. The anchor cut to live footage of a neighbor of the bus driver. We're all just so shocked. He was a very sweet, quiet man. Polite. Led a quiet life after his wife died a few years ago. I think it was a terrible accident. You say he led a quiet life? Yeah. First thing you see, something like this, you think, were they drinking? Did they not get sleep? You never even saw a light on in his house after 11. The only thing I could think of is, is maybe a heart attack or something. He was getting so close to retirement and, well... I noticed the past couple of mornings he had an awful cough. I'm not talking about a little itch. I could hear it in my living room from inside his house. And the past four or so mornings he'd wake me up leaving for work coughing and wheezing in his driveway. It was like he couldn't catch his breath. I figured maybe it was worse than it sounded because he kept going to work. He really loved those kids. His job seemed to be all he had going on. Tabby's cries faded into a low-pitched murmur as I understood the cost of the entire life I had experienced with Danny. Tabby wouldn't have been enough in exchange for everything I had just shared with Danny. To get my sister back from the inevitable course she was headed would cost far more. Twenty-seven young lives and one old... 27 potential lives that hadn't even really started and one getting closer to its end to seal the deal. All were connected to me or Tabby in some way. It was the perfect meal to serve up to a cosmos hungry for balance. That was the exchange. That was the price paid for a lifetime with Danny and the reversal of a terminal illness for my sister. It was devastating. It was brutal. It was mercilessly fair. What happened was an unmitigated tragedy. But I knew things now. Things I could tell myself to soften the blow. Things like... There is no beginning, middle, or end where they are. They will live an infinite amount of lives. They are still here. I don't understand it, but I know it. If Tabby knew what I did, 
if she knew the price I was willing to accept to see Danny again, I would feel shame, but I would not feel guilt. Sure, you can sit there and judge me for cheating the system we all should be bound to, life and death. We all have to go and most of us don't decide when. We don't get to set the terms on how we'll lose those who we love. Danny didn't, not the first time around. But we had the rare opportunity for a do-over, to say goodbye on our terms. So as I held my sister in my arms, her body twitching with choked sobs, the simple truth remained. If, on that first day, as I sat in that psychic shop, yearning for Danny, I had been told the full cost, I would trade every one of those lives again.